Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hi, this is Scott Santucci. Hey, everybody. Brian Lambert here, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions you should be asking if you want to be successful with sales enablement. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about trying something new and more importantly, about being transformative. You know, sales enablement is a transformative role, and a lot of us get hired to do transformational work. And there are a lot of people talking about the transformative benefits of sales enablement. But what does transformation really mean? What does it mean to be a leader in these transformations? And to me, it all boils down to, are you a person that executives can trust to take the company or take the department or take the vision and make it a reality? And when you talk about doing something new like that, you've got to be credible in how you go about it. In other words, people have to put their futures, their, their uh, direction, their ideas, their processes, even their products in your hands. And to me, that credibility has to be earned and not just given because you have a title. And Scott, that's what I want to talk about today is this idea of credibility and where, where that comes from in this role. So as always, we like to frame things out with, with a story. I'm going to tell, I'm going to leverage a little bit, a little bit of the ideas from Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens, as you probably know, is an author at the turn of the century, really talking about issues dealing with the cutover from an agricultural to an industrial revolution. There's really two ideas that he's, he's famous for. Everybody knows the tale of two cities and specifically that wonderful quote, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. It was an age of, of foolishness. So we have that, have that one. The second thing that I, I want to bring up, and we'll, we'll promise we'll tie these, these ideas together, is Charles Dickens also wrote A Christmas Carol. And if you remember A Christmas Carol, and you remember Tiny Tim, Tiny Tim's dad, his, the, the job of Tiny Tim's dad was a bookkeeper. And that bookkeeper was the one that uh, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, treated so, so roughly. And I think the, the big idea here is, could you imagine today a CEO treating their equivalent of their bookkeeper, their CFO, the same way they treated Tiny Tim's dad? And the answer is, of course not. So what's changed since then? That's, that's really sort of the framing, uh, the framing key idea. Yeah, and I like that because um, certainly if you look at the CFO view, they're, they're deemed as credible. But, and that took some time, right, to go from Tiny Tim's dad, bookkeeper, to CFO. But there's, there was a journey there that unfolded as that role uh, evolved. And I think there are absolute um, correlations here to the sales enablement function. Sure, it might take some time, but the role can be elevated. It can be uh, seen as a strategic partner to the, to the C-suite. And it can drive, uh, you know, a more professional uh, relationship with a lot of various groups inside the organization and with customers. 
And Scott, one of the things that I know uh, we've talked a lot about and, you know, we, we go w way back is this idea of sales enablement, you know, and what it means. And, and no, we're not going to define it here, but what we're going to do is I want to outline this idea of, you know, sales enablement can be a process. It can be a, a platform. It can be technology. It could be jobs, et cetera. And one of the things that I know you, you have a visceral reaction to is, you know, your approach when you talk about this is a system and it's interrelated parts, it's holistic. There are a lot of moving parts and people call you academic. Uh -huh. So why, why, why does that bother you so much to be called academic? Well, I didn't know I was going on the couch, um, <laughs> <laughs> but if we're going to go on a tiny Tim journey to, uh, you know, you can't just wave our magic wand and all be strategic. Right. Uh, partners, well, it, so. the, the process of getting there is actually uh, way quicker, but I, I think the, the reason that the, I react so strongly to people calling me theoretical or academic is really the story about how I got into sales enabled in the first place. And uh, this isn't a pretty story by any way, way, shape or form, but it's a real story. And it started out when I was a sales rep at a company called Metagroup that's now part of Gartner Group. And that we, even way back then, our biggest competitor at the time was Gartner. And as and a salesperson- uh, This is in the 90s, right? Late 90s, early 2000s, right? Okay. So the, I was a sales rep in the, in, in the late 90s. And you know, really what we would have to do is we literally competed for the Gartner budget. And that's no winning proposition if you're competing for the Gartner budget against Gartner. That's a tough, that's a tough sell. So what we learned, uh, the more successful reps, and at the time I was the top, the, the, the top rep in the company, we learned that uh, you didn't talk about Gartner, you didn't talk about syndicated research services or anything like that, you positioned yourself as differently. And one of the, one of the ways that we worked on that was to develop uh, a concentrated on building really value added relationships with, with CIOs. And the idea really was I was selling you insurance, uh, decision-making advice, and you're going to make a lot of decisions. And I have access to a lot of people who have lots of different conversations to help you hedge that, hedge those bets. And as simple as that sounds, that's a lot easier than talking about all your deliverables. So in order to sell this, you actually have to have conversations with the right, right, right folks. And I was brainstorming with the, the, one of the CIOs that I had a relationship at Johnson & Johnson, pretty big company. And I had, he and I had, had come up with the idea, wouldn't it be great to hear what's on the mind of other CIOs in the area? So I said, well, tell you what I'll do. I will invite uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of CIOs, get a nucleus of, of folks here. And we'll have an event. I'll bring in some of our analysts. We won't charge you anything for, for it. Uh, what I need you to do is host it and help me out because I don't have any budget. <laughs> I'm just a mirror, mirror salesperson. I don't have any budget. They said, hey, that's great. We actually have this amazing uh, conference center. As you probably can imagine what a conference center at Johnson Johnson's look like. And I've got a good relationship with the marketing department. Let's get them to help, uh, help create flyers. So who wouldn't want... Johnson and Johnson's marketing department to work on your uh, on your own flyer. 
So I talked yeah, to you're, them. You're, about, you're a sales rep at the time. You're like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> having Johnson and Johnson work on my market materials. So I was excited and I'm thinking what a great prospecting event this is going to be. I'm going to be able to invite uh, my prospective customers that weren't giving me the time of day to a exclusive Johnson and Johnson event that's powered by, you know, my company. And the only thing that I needed to do was get a high res copy of our logo. So I called up our VP of marketing at the time. She answered and I said, Hey, uh, uh, this is what I'm looking for. This is what, what I'd like. And she said, well, I'm not going to send it to you. And I said, what? I, and I laughed because I thought she was kidding. She said, no, I, I need to know uh, what the, what the material is because I need to decide whether or not uh, our brand should be associated with it or not. And I said, it's a Johnson and Johnson event. How do we not want our brand associated with Johnson and Johnson? So, I don't know what the subject right. matter is. And it was just such a pain in the butt. All I needed was the logo. So I said, uh, keep in mind, I was in my late twenties at the time. I, I probably said some things that uh, my older self was embarrassed by. So we'll edit those out here in this story, but it was a bunch of not nice things. And I hung up on her and I said, as I was hanging up on her, I said, I'm going to make sure you get fired. So it was sort of also petty. not recommended. <laughs> right. It's sort of pettiness of how, um, how I got into it. This was a young, young Scott Santucci in the nineties, everybody. Right. Still Thank still you still. for reminding that. But, um, <laughs> It'll help. It'll help say how yeah. unpragmatic or uh, or not pragmatic, how unacademic uh, getting into this was. So oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, there you have it. It all started with a logo. <laughs> and and a friction with marketing, uh, and uh, we we ended up having this event, and the event was incredibly successful as part of my master plan to get the VP of marketing uh, fired. I made sure to invite uh, some of our, some of the leaders who are on our executive committee to attend this event. So when you say successful, what, what do you mean the, the event was successful? Well, because first and foremost, number one, my CIO client at, at Johnson Johnson was elated because we were able to bring 120 different uh, IT executives, VP and C level from uh, throughout New Jersey there and he was expecting maybe 10. So to get that diversity, to build that, uh, build that footprint, he was just blown away. And then as far as how it was successful for, for me personally, uh, I wrote the equivalent of my entire quota for the year there on the spot during little breaks and here and there because people were just so blown away by um, the connections and the value I, I was able to create as, as a salesperson. So fast forward, the executive committee members were all talking about it and how come more, or more of the reps don't do this. So uh, I use that buzz and your, you know, the sway that you have as a, as a top rep, you don't really realize it until you try to start using it. So I called Bernard up and Bernard was our CFO. And I said, Bernard, uh, I've got some time. I was at what, 300% of my quota. I've got some time. I think we're wasting a lot of money in our marketing budget and uh, I'd like you to help find it out. And of course he took me up on that because most CFOs think that they're wasting money on um, marketing or sales and marketing in general. So we spent a day 
whiteboarding out, whiteboarding that out. And he said, uh, I want you to present this to the executive committee next month. So before you go there, now I'm, I'm gonna, I wasn't there, but I'm gonna project here. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but for you to, to take that action, uh, I, I don't think, cause I've known you for a while. I don't think you were, you were, you were being vindictive so to speak. I think there's a piece of you being competitive here, but you know, I think I want to explore the flip side of this is you probably saw a huge market opportunity and you probably also knowing you uh, kind of put the whole event on your back and did a lot of the work yourself. And all you asked for was a little bit of help and you didn't get it. And so that really probably pissed you off. So, so are those two things true here or, you know, what was the, what was the impetus for wanting to take the marketing, actions that you did? Well, I, t- I took the actions with the CFO and uh, I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was mostly vindictive. Okay. Um, I, I was so, <laughs> so angry that I just asked for a little bit of help. And my feeling was, you just asked for a logo, right? Right. I just asked for a lot. Well, yeah, I just asked for a logo and it just was the straw that broke my back of all the sales prevention that um sure. that i felt we were running into uh, you know there's there's other stories too like um having to having some of um having policies created because i sold wet over list too much um wow. yeah so w- w- one of the services that i sold our, our average deal size, our average subscription price was seventeen thousand. i started selling these things for thirty thousand dollars and um um, I was told by this. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put together a 120 person conference as a sales call. <laughs> right. So, the, the, you know, j- yeah. and I just wanted a little bit of help. Right. And just constant self prevention drove me nuts. So I think, I think sure. if I were really honest, it was mostly vindictiveness. Was it all at that one individual, the VP of marketing? No, unfortunately as the leader uh, of, uh, of all of that stuff. It's a, it's a figurehead. Uh, and the meeting with the CFO was really, how do I create a business case to get the executive committee to look into this stuff? Sure. Um, however, hindsight being 2020 and having a lot of space behind that, uh, it was, I think a little bit of it was the CFO taking some advantage of me because I think he had an ax to grind <laughs> with the marketing department too. Could be true, and, right? Never know. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like a political slash business case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CFO has a great way of just talking about the numbers. So uh, when, when I presented to the executive committee, we presented all these numbers about, um, you know, the costs and the productivity, you know, problems and, and the like. And uh, after presenting it, he, he, he verified all the numbers for me. Was it basically uh, saying that there was a lot of money being spent without a lot of, you know, impact or what was the, the big sound? Yeah, like? I think we can get, get into more about metrics later. I mean, when we, part of our plan will be to go through some of the reports and one of the reports we'll cover is the hidden cost of sales enablement. Um, but it, it, it really was, um, look, we're spending a tremendous amount of money uh, that has literally no utility to sales, literally none. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's not an issue of budgets and, 
you know, we spent this amount of money on events or this amount of money on collateral, et cetera. It just has no utility whatsoever. And on top of that, because it has no utility and it's out, it, the, the information's out there, it actually detracts from my ability to do my job. So for yeah. example, I'd, I'd shut off in my, uh, in my CRM system access to the corporate marketing department to my key accounts because I didn't want the information they were sending out to get to them because it would, it, all of it, all that did was compare us to Gartner and going back to the original story, I didn't want to be compared to the Gartner budget because once somebody says that, then you get delegated to, the, to lower level minions and my access to the CIOs who had all the money uh, was squashed. So th- those, were, those were the cases that were made at, at the executive committee. In mm-hmm. that meeting, they asked me to leave. And uh, 10, 15 minutes later, they asked me to come back. And uh, I was looking forward to hearing what they had to say. And they said, uh, you've got a new role. <laughs> your, your job now is the VP of product marketing and management. And you're going to, you're going to fix all these things that you brought up to us. Go, oh, go wow. figure that out. So I was like, oh, geez. Was that, you, was that what you were expecting? No, 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 at all. It wasn't what I was expecting nor what I, what I was looking for. It was, um, I just wanted, I just wanted action to be taken so that this could be fixed for me. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was told I was, I, I was doing. The first thing that I did, I said, hey, Bernard, you know, let's, I, I, I need to build a baseline. Uh, and then the, the, so we built a baseline first and I built a relationship that said, moving forward, you're going to present out all of my metrics moving forward, just so they're credible. So this is the help that I need. And I think this is really where I learned to build uh, great relationships with the finance department. They want to help actually a lot. And, um, so that, that was helpful. But the first thing that I did was for the first three months, all I did was collect information. So there was a lot of pressure, go do this, go do this, go to this, go to that. And uh, I said, I'm not gonna do any of that until I have a strategy and you guys all see the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing with. So I interviewed that we had um, uh, six different sales regions. Uh, Each of the sales regions had their own view of what's, uh, and, and their own sales processes. We had 17 different business units, all of who said selling is easy. You only need to know these five things, you know, multiply that by 17 and it gets over, gets overwhelming. Uh, We had a massive amount of collateral. There was a belief by our CEO that any monkey could sell this stuff. So, you know, because the product was so good. Those were the things that we're dealing with. And I presented that as a readout and, um, that, how, that was, how long was that process, by the way? Just doing that analysis, I'd say yeah. about three months. Okay. And it was really important because getting the voice of everyone and, and to show the, the executive committee uh, the scope of the problem. And then I said, this is how we're going to address it. We're going to first do a process. So the way that we're going to organize our products and services, et cetera, the first thing that we're going to do right now is we're going to rationalize instead of having 17 different services with all these different tactics, we're going to rationalize around five business imperatives. So I got the executive uh, committee to support that. And in partnering with our, uh, our events team, 
that that action took maybe a month. And later that year, our, our, our conference was all thematic based on those business imperatives and it set a record for the first time it turned a profit. And ever since then it's been a, uh, been a revenue generating function. Then the second thing that we did is say, Hey, there's so many different mechanics and there's all these different uh, groups that are disconnected. We're going to create three different working groups that all interface with each other. And by working groups, we call them committees. We had a product management committee, and that product management committee had, uh, I think, 17 or 15 different people on it. And we just asked anybody who was at all involved in the product development or product launch or communications process to, to have a representative there. And we would talk through all the issues, and reduce, we reduced all the sales prevention down to almost nothing. And it was just by talking about things like, what the right product code is or whether or not you have the right collateral, how we launch it out, how we communicate it, what the customer support uh, mechanism is. So it was a super, super, super tactical. And I had one of the people on my team chair that and he gave me readouts. Then the next thing, the, the next group that we had was a function that I chaired, which was the product message, product marketing strategy committee. And that was with a sample set of the business unit heads, a representative from sales, and uh, Bernard, the CFO, was, was on that group. And we talked about the tactical things, and then we talked about the business strategy things and meshed those things together to, to make recommendations. And then the third thing that, uh, that I did is said, hey, in order to do this, I need to make sure that I'm on the executive committee meeting you don't need to put me on the executive committee. I don't, I don't, I don't earn that right, et cetera. Just have a 30-minute chunk to get, let, let me have readouts and let me share with you guys the information that's going on. So creating that structure was really helpful because at any one point in time, I had more information than anybody in the company about what was going on. And the fact that all of the, all of the material and information was vetted with, uh, with our CFO, all the metrics fit in place. We had one source of truth. It was really easy to manage. And on top of that, I was really popular with all those other groups because they had their voices heard and no one wants to create more work for anybody else. So then moving forward, uh, the, the next thing that we did was we were going to build these, um, these content packs and we were gonna identify the stakeholders that we were targeting we were going to uh, pick different, uh, different roles that we were going to go after, and we were going to go um, five deep for the Global 2000. Uh, so the first thing that we had to do is come up with a list of who the Global 2000 companies were. No one in the company agreed on that. Then the second thing we had to do is find out how many of those we actually had contact information for. And by contact information, I'm talking about the CIO, the VP of operations, the VP of security, the VP of uh, CRM, things like that. You know, basic functions within IT organization. And I wanted to go five stakeholders deep in those roles. So who the VP is, uh, three or four directors, no managers. So uh, when we did that, we found that we didn't have any of the lists. So we started a, a, a calling campaign just to call the admins of those people to collect and capture the right information. And while we were doing that, the marketing department, you know, said, hey, you're doing this all wrong. 
um, the we did an analysis and the our, our customers most of our customers aren't global 2000 companies so you're wrong so I took that email and I immediately clicked that back up to the I, I took that email I forwarded it directly to, uh, and copied the entire executive committee and said this is a decision you guys need to make I am under the uh, assumption that our target is global 2000 uh, the department that you have, you know, running this is saying that our, you know, the data shows that most of our customers aren't global 2000 and our CEO was so pissed at that email that he wrote a not very friendly email response back saying, do exactly what I'm saying because we make 10 times more on each global 2000 company than we do on the other ones. And he'd rather us not sell to the, the lower level ones. We just need to penetrate more the the big companies. So it's, it, it's, it's all of that activity um, working with pockets of sales teams because some of the sales leaders just disagreed with the strategy. They wanted to follow their own strategy. So you create um, pockets of success and you create more of that demand. And uh, two years later, uh, you know, when we had our, our CFO compare our baseline information with what our results were, our average deal side had, deal side had increased by 54%. Uh, we collapsed our sales cycle time uh, by 33%. We improved our average deal size, or not our average deal size, our average win rate, uh, 25%. So just all the metrics across the board, we were killing it. And the goal was we wanted to have as much productivity and performance uh, hiring the least amount of people because the ramp up cycle of, of hiring was so so brutal. So that's that's really the story that happened. And it was brutal. It was a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was um, a lot of strategy, a lot of coordination and collaboration, setting up functional groups and operating models and operating committees and all these other things but they all go hand in hand uh, to making you uh, to making you successful. So I think that's a lot of, that's a lot of talking. I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet now and <laughs> let, let yeah, you. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, well, I wanted the, the, the overall journey to play out because you know, the, the beginning of it, the Genesis all the way through to the business results, because I think it's helpful to see that, you know, especially, you know, in my role, I, I sometimes get in the, in the day to day and it's so easy to get kind of sucked into the, either the politics or the meetings or, or whatever. And um, one of the things that I, I'm, I'm hearing here is this idea of focusing on, you know, what you're trying to do. And, you know, in this case, what was that to you? Um, you know, were you trying to grow the business? Were you trying to, to scale something out? Were you, trying to build what, what would be the first ever sales enablement function? Like, what were you doing? Were you just trying to drive the business strategy, fulfill your role? I mean, that's a lot of ownership of, of outcome here. Why, why'd you do it? Well, I did it because that was my job and I wanted to be successful. Uh, and I did it the only way I knew how, which was working backwards from sales uh, you have a lot of credibility with salespeople when you're the top rep, you know, and you, you learn very quickly. You can't just because you're the top rep. There are other reps who are just as good 
that sell differently than I did. So you're like, hmm, okay, well, we can't really prescribe one method on everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then once you build that base, you get the ability to communicate back to the business units. Here's what's really happening in the trenches. There's a lot of people who are so certain that they know what's happening in the field by sellers until they realize, huh, salespeople are human beings too. They all have different ways. And some of them, we, have, we had some reps that could meet their number just selling transactionally. And we had some reps that met, met their number selling more like I did, you know, more uh, to, to an elevated role. So we had, to, we had to realize, okay, we can't do a one size fits all. We don't want to upset the, uh, upset the apple cart. Let's, let's break it out. I think the, the, the lesson that I've learned is when you go and read textbooks, on how things should be, they don't work. <laughs> like right. the whole Cotter, following the Cotter method for change management is just a bunch of bunk. Add, add car, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so these, yeah. these methodologies, they sound good and they're, they're interesting to read. They look but nice in an on environment, a mm-hmm. Yeah, in an environment that we're talking about where there's just so many variables going on, there's so much stuff happening, there's so much complexity those models don't work. And if yeah. you want to focus on execution and, you know, keeping your job and, and, you know, driving results, that's what it looks like. Uh, having one of the, one of the, the VP of cent, the central region just flat out hated me. <laughs> so that whole, yeah. that whole region was off, off limits to produce any kind of results. So I had to say, Hmm, all right, well, how, how do we produce results here? And how do we create a, a flanking strategy so that eventually these guys are going to want to participate in the programs that we put out. Um, so that's think, where, what you have to do is you have to figure out where your, where your base is. Uh, and then the other thing too is make the, 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 the number one thing that I learned is you have to make the people in corporate first empathetic about the plight of sales because all they do is field complaints from salespeople and they don't want to help them. And the second thing is make sure that they're listened to because no one listens to them. And the amount of information that they're sitting on is massive. And you just spend a little bit of time and ask them questions like, why do we have so many SKUs? And they're going to get angry at first. It's like, why are you getting angry? I'm just curious. It's like, I know. It's just really frustrating because everybody's got a new way of doing something out. And the only way we can account for it is this way. So that's why we have so many SKUs. And, you know, uh, just understanding where everybody is coming from, then you can say, well, how do we start reducing the complexity from there? And that's where you get the, the, the biggest results. And just making sure people are communicated to and you communicate up, down, and across. Up being to the executive committee. So make sure you have a space there. Make sure you have something informative to share. Don't own results. Just present information. Ask them what they think give them choices because ultimately they're the ones that have to choose, not you until they, unless they ask you for your recommendation, then you're allowed to give them your opinion on your communicating across. There are so many different middle level functions <laughs> or even at a VP level that uh, if you don't build bridges across them, they're going to, they're going to work to squash you and then communicate down is so incredibly important because if you don't communicate folks of the journey that you're under with a little bit of curiosity, 
um, the pain that you're communicating creates too much friction and um, you know, the folks can go batshit crazy. Yeah, and I think when you look at that, I definitely hear the takeaway there about the communication and, and also the multiple perspectives, not discounting them, but where you do find that, that roadblock working around it. But I also, for me, one of the big takeaways is, is the, the CFO relationship and the let the numbers do the talking Rosetta Stone approach, right? Um, I think we have to be comfortable with numbers and we have to be able to, to use that um, math as a translation between the fun functions. And then, you know, through those conversations, be able to elevate where, where there might be some misunderstanding to have that, that arbitration happen, right? Like you did with the, the C CEO. Um, because if you, if you can't elevate or escalate or bring it up and have somebody else decide for you and you make the decisions, you end up holding the bag. And if you're not using numbers, it, it, it too, too easily devolves into a, a little bit of an interpersonal dynamic. Uh, at least it has in my world. So I think those are the two big takeaways for me is building the, the, the financial view with the right people and then also the right buy-in to have the back that so the executive team has your back and uh, doesn't put you out on a limb accidentally uh, so that you have to, you know, be all holding all the risk. Yeah. I think in, in future podcasts, we should probably go over a few things. So one is what's different about the early two thousands, uh, late 1990s that it is today. We are metric out the wazoo and I don't think, you know, if you get past the people talk about the metrics, but I don't think people really understand what the metrics mean. <laughs> and the data behind the metrics isn't factored in too. So if you have bad data quality, the data that you're, you're talking about, you're just talking past each other. The one person who knows that the most is the CFO. And if you go and present information, finance is always going to be the tiebreaker. And if you don't know how to speak, the language of finance, it's, it's self-defeating, especially if you get really rigid on, on your metrics. So I think we need, to, we yeah. need to really explore metrics and what they mean. I think we need to really talk about finance. I think the overwhelming majority of people in sales enablement, even sales leaders, are intimidated by, by having conversations with finance and marketers too. Uh, they think that uh, the conversation is always going to be about scrutiny of budget and that is not the lens that a CFO has. Right. It just isn't. So I think we need to, I need to, I think we need to talk about that. And then I, so I think we need to talk about um, uh, where the source of metrics are coming from. We are so over metric and we're talking all these things that they just don't make any sense. Right. They don't. They, they, yeah. They're not, they're, they're not tied to what the core objective is and what that does is it just creates more opportunity to miscommunicate with a collection of stakeholders when the real goal is what you really want to be doing is get a whole bunch of stakeholders on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can't have those conversations, it's almost like going to uh, slay the dragon without the armor. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the reason, so let's bring this full circle. Why do I get so upset? And you, you saw this happen when we were at Forrester too, with, with, with our clients, uh, saying that sounds theoretical 
uh, it's really frustrating for me because um, um, I did this. Yeah. And I, 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 I read through, I, I, I pushed through, I did all the, all, all the pain and suffering, et cetera. And I, I built an elevated function with great results that had executive level uh, support so much so that I got recruited to be a VP of sales and marketing um, at 29 years old. So it was very, 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 very successful. And I did all these things. I think the, I think what I haven't learned was how much of the credibility. So go back to tying it back to the tiny Tim, uh, tiny Tim's dad and how do you build credibility for a role? I think that, uh, what I didn't realize is how much I was trading on the personal credibility that I had as the top rep. And right. it, 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 I didn't really make it blatant. It was just so easy to articulate stories about how the, the different things that we're doing are creating sales prevention because I had the stories involved because I actually had to do a lot of the work myself to overcome the obstacles that we put in our own way to prevent us from selling adult money contracts. Right. It, was, it was insane. So to be able to articulate all of that stuff and say, this is the contract that we're after. Bernard, the CFO, you're paying me to get contracts. You're not paying me to account for the rent, the money. And simple stories like that, that highlight what the roles are, are incredibly important. And I think what I've not found out the right way to do is highlight how important a lot of these little details are. Yeah. So, I come up with vocabulary that I pull from books because people read these management books and the like, and I sound theoretical and it drives me insane to get called theoretical. Yeah. Well, thankful for all of us. It doesn't go back to like mom or dad issues. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, the, the the th the key thing here, I think, yes, we should talk about those things. And also uh, this idea of, you know, being, putting yourself out there, what does that really mean? Having, having the ability to uh, have some key principles to stand on that are your platform and then being able to uh, kind of, you know, put yourself out there in front of folks is also something at a personal level that uh, I've struggled with, you know, because what's an inherent thing here and, and I've seen uh, become difficult to translate into to places that I've worked is this idea of accountability. You know, you've assumed a lot of accountability for that impact and you took it on and, and you, you didn't have a challenge with that level of accountability, scrutiny, you know, inspection, et cetera. And, you know, boy, in sales enablement, we've got to be able to handle that the scrutiny, um, the objections, the, the nitpicking, if you will, um, you got to have a really thick skin. And um, I think that's a, another, another podcast for another day, but cause we're, cause we're out of time, but uh, I really appreciate it, Scott and, and hearing these stories. Uh, also, I, I didn't know a lot of those details. So um, I've learned a lot and I've, I've also seen it come to fruition here. I, I, I got to do a better job in the roles that I have around finances as well. And I'm knowing the, the numbers and being able to have those conversations. So thanks, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks, Scott, for that. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. 
Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request. 